Welcome to episode 77 of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Arg! Yes, a little bit of morning zoo action here in Franklin, Tennessee. Coming to you practically live from high atop the Mellow Mushroom here in metropolitan Franklin, Tennessee. I'm your sometimes host, Nate Larkin, uh, here with our fearless engineer, fearless, peerless engineer, Mondo Grimes, and... The Admiral has uh, floated in from mm-hmm. the West Coast. He's actually here live and in person. We are special. Aren't I, we? I, I, don't, I don't know if I ever told you. I, d- I don't know if I like the Admiral thing. No? I've waited for a nickname my entire life. <laughs> and the Admiral? I think this is like the second or third time he's brought that up. And, I had somebody keep... ask me last night about the Admiral. <laughs> <laughs> we got to work on that. Yeah. You know, if it came with a pay raise... That would be something. But you're top of the pay grade. Okay, and look, we are we are not alone. Also joining us here in the studio, we have the uh, inimitable Scott Dente. Hello, Scott. Hello, Nate. It's the co-co-host. Hello, Admiral. Good to be with you, Mondo. And and wait, our, okay, wait. What rank is Scott? If I'm the Admiral, Nate, you're you're <laughs> handing out the these rear ranks. Admiral. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pause for a station identification. <laughs> yeah, that might be a good time to introduce your guest before I decide to come back at that. Yeah, it's it's not. I don't want to rank. Okay, that's good. Uh, because You're a Christian because, because he's the admiral. I mean, what else can? That's right. Exactly. Um, well, he was the commodore before that, but I thought the admiral ranked higher. The yeah. Commodore calls for some kind of musical song to be broken into. I, I, <laughs> and our special returning guest, Ian Cron, is here this time live and in person. Last time we talked with you, Ian, you were on vacation where? In Florida. Yeah, in Florida. This time we wanted to be able to see your eyes so we could tell if you were lying. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I've just figured out that you were in Michigan, not Florida. That's see, right. it is beneficial that you're in the well, room. Now that can you tell I'm lying, you can actually discern the truth. That's really something. <laughs> he used to be a pastor. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a good time today. Uh, what do you say we kick it off with a little mini meeting? You want to do that? Yeah, sure, man. Let's do that. Uh, this uh, well, can I just say something? Sure. I've never been to a meeting, mm-hmm. uh, so if I do something wrong, I'd like to be forgiven in advance. All right, you are. Uh, yeah, can yeah. we put an umbrella of forgiveness over this whole podcast? We yeah. can. Yeah. <laughs> cone of silence. Yeah. Some of the cone of silence. We got the cone of forgiveness. Yeah, I think we're gonna. I like that. I think I we're like gonna that. need that. All right, we're not gonna do the full Samson meeting. We're just gonna uh, do a little bit of introductory reading and then drop straight to sharing and we'll do abbreviated sharing. We won't get Mr. Dente's sacred seven minutes. It'll be more like a sacred three to four. Is that copyrightable? Did I have, do I, I have I, the trademark on that? I think you do. Awesome. <laughs> well, welcome to this mini-meeting of the Samson Society. We're a company of Christian men. We're also natural loners who've recognized the dangers of isolation and are determined to escape them. Natural wanderers who are finding spiritual peace and prosperity at home. Natural liars, we're now finding freedom in the truth. Natural judges, we're learning how to judge ourselves aright. And natural strongmen, who are experiencing God's strength as we admit our weakness. Uh, As Christians, we meet at other times for worship, for teaching, for corporate prayer. Today, however, we meet to talk. Our purpose is to assist one another in our common journey. We do so by sharing honestly out of our own personal experience 
the challenges and encouragements of daily Christian living in a fallen world. We've now reached the sharing portion of our meeting. Wasn't that fast? My gosh. Yeah. In sharing, we speak honestly out of our own experience. We tell the truth about ourselves, knowing that our brothers will listen to us in love and will hold whatever we say in strictest confidence. We try to keep our comments brief, taking care to leave plenty of time for others. We address our statements to the group as a whole rather than directing them toward any one person. And as a rule, we refrain from giving advice to others or instructing Aaron during the meeting, believing that such conversations are best reserved for private moments between friends. Suggested topic today is... <clears throat> I'm just uh, going to grab one right here, just out of nowhere. Solitude. No matter what the topic is, you're supposed to go, oh. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's true. Uh, there is kind of a I want to just, uh, just as a caveat, I didn't know that the strictest confidence thing came mm -hmm. up. I did not say it. Yes, so you know. Yeah. That was, that was okay. in, in yeah. Cron. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's kind of modified strictest confidence when we are broadcasting it on a podcast. So bear that in mind in your sharing. Yeah, there's, it was actually kind of a disappointed strictest confidence tone yeah. on that one. Everyone was like, strictest Semi-confidence, not at all confidence, basically. Yeah. <laughs> all yeah. Provisional confidence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <clears throat> well, I don't, I'm, not even, I'm not even wild about the topic, but... Um, How did it just, just, the Holy Spirit picked it? I just did the fickle finger of, I just kind of put a finger on the page and it, that's where it landed. So I'll go ahead and take responsibility for choosing the topic by jumping in first. Mm -hmm. um, solitude. Who are you? Uh, uh, oh, I'm Nate. Hey, Nate. Hey, Nate. <laughs> oh, I don't get busted like that very often. It's a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> Keeping the man on the carpet. <laughs> Hey Nate. Oh. Hey, Nate. <laughs> um, I, I'm actually enjoying some some times of healthy solitude lately. Um, it's amazing, you know. When I first got in recovery, I lived in isolation just about all the time. Um, sure, I ventured into public, and yeah, I knew how to make a splash, work a room, shake some hands, kiss some babies, and exit. But never really, I was careful just to show a well-polished public persona, never let anybody see behind the curtain. And I had an extensive secret life of which nobody was aware. Um, in recovery, for the first time, really, and oddly enough, I found it outside the church, or more properly, in the basement of the church while all the good people were gone. I found a safe place for the first time to bring my real self and began to move out of the shadows, show people uh, parts of my life that I'd kept hidden, and um, begin to move into relationship. Now my own addiction, as you guys know, my porn and sex addiction, results over time in a severe intimacy disorder, so relations are, relationships are tough for me. Um, but eventually I found myself drawn into community and into relationship to the point where for a couple of years, I mean, I was in, <laughs> I was always in public. 
it seemed like. If I left the house, I was where people could see me. I'm always engaged in conversation. I'm on the phone, uh, you know, 15, 20 times a day. Um, and there was actually a rich harvest, I think, from, you know, my life changed in positive ways during that period. But during that period, I did very little uh, in solitude. I feel as though now I'm moving back toward more of a balance. Not isolation, but a time of solitude each day when intentionally, um, I, you know, for years I never went for, I, went for, I never went for a walk alone. I went, I went for walks every day, but always with somebody else. Well, I still go for a walk with somebody else every day, but I also go for a walk alone. Um, and um, I'm, for me, I'm finding that um, a, a brief time of, silence, uh, of solitude, especially a time of meditative prayer, I was enormously helped recently by some instruction on, on meditative prayer, some new insights for me. I'm sure they're not brand new. That's, I've probably been given this advice before and it didn't register. <laughs> uh, but I was told that, um, you know, reminded that God actually dwells in me since I'm a believer, and that when I uh, pray, I d there, there's this wonderful discipline of praying without talking, uh, of, of just going to that inner sanctum with the indwelling God and enjoying His presence and being there. Uh, and that, that I can only do that when I'm alone. Uh, and pr amazingly, I'm finding that that, uh, that time meets that deep need. Uh, it satisfies that deep loneliness that uh, pornography promised to fill all those years. Um, for me, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a connection there that I, that I can find in that time of solitude that in some ways is even deeper than uh, conversations with friends. There is an intimacy to be found in spiritual solitude uh, that certainly is more satisfying than the false intimacy that pornography uh, offers. And in some ways is even richer than the intimacy that I can feel with friends. Not that it's a substitute for it, uh, and maybe my inner hermit is starting to come out uh, as I get older. Uh, I pray that's not the case. Mm. But uh, anyway, uh, I'm, I am committed to spending some time each day in solitude as very much distinguished from isolation. Thanks. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Nate. I'm Aaron. Hey, Aaron. First thing that came to mind when you said solitude is the... Uh, Fortress of Solitude. That's Superman's ice cave, right? First thing that came to my mind. <laughs> uh, please inter don't interrupt when you share. Sorry. See, that's, that's called crosstalk, and they couldn't see the sarcastic look on your face because this is. But I didn't give advice. <laughs> um, I'm going to give you some. <laughs> Since you're not sharing, Scott can actually give you advice <laughs> without breaking the rules. It will probably come in the form of physical abuse. <laughs> and it will be cross. <laughs> well, I wasn't actually kidding about the uh, Fortress of Solitude thing, because I immediately thought, uh, I, 
I need that. That is my... Uh, well, I guess we haven't had a podcast since I'm not at First Baptist anymore, right? Mm-hmm. So I am not at... Uh, you know, I was at two churches for the last three years, half-time at both, and now I'm only at one half-time. But I left the church very amicably, and everything's super good, but that I've been at for, you know, 14 and a half years. And in that church, I had my most sacred office was in a closet that I took, painted purple, filled with really dark Goya sketches and 80s skate art, and it just barely fit a desk in it. And I loved it, and nobody knew. I put a women's bathroom placard on it, so nobody ever went in. And uh, it was my, it was my fortress of solitude. Nobody would know I was there. There were no windows. I hate when I get into that place where I just want to be alone, and I know somebody might knock on the door and say, "Hey, uh, just a quick question." Like that, just uh, there's something about that it kills me. It's like this is leave me alone time. And then, like Superman, I swoop off and I'm like, now I save people time. And then I swoop back into my fortress and I'm like, now I'm alone. And I'm thinking about my daddy who sent me off to this crappy planet. And it's like back and forth. And I'm deeply right now in my life trying to define some things. Um, like put right words to them. And I think it, it has a lot to do with balance like you're talking about. But I think it's a little more than that. I think it has a lot to do with vulnerability. I don't know that it's wrong. I don't think it's a right or wrong thing. I think I am wired to like to have like a wound. I love wound places. You know, in college, I put my mattress in the closet. I like to sleep in a, a small place. I think I was happy in the womb. I don't know. I would mattress in the closet with a fan shooting down on me. That's just, I felt most safe and comfortable. I did live in the inner city of Los Angeles. That might have had something to do with it. I don't know. That's when I started doing it. But I just felt happy and safe there. Still like it. So, I I don't know. I think, yes, seeking a balance, but more than that, trying to understand how these two polar extremes that certainly come with my vocation, with the swooping in and out, very much like Superman that I'm not because I handed my cartoon over to Thaddeus today. Uh, Scott can explain that if he chooses at some later podcast today. I think there is a middle place that real vulnerability happens, and that is what I'm searching for in my life, always. How to be vulnerable. It's not that I don't want to be, just don't know what that even means half the time with people. That's it. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. Well, hi, my name is Ian. Hey, Ian. Hello, Ian. I heard a great story that day uh, about Carl Jung. He had a patient come to him and uh, said, um, you know, I'm suffering from all this anxiety and mixed with depression and, you know, angst about my life and, you know. And he said, but most of all, you know, I have trouble getting along with people, you know. I don't know how to relate to people. So Jung said to him, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home, and I want you to spend three hours every night doing absolutely nothing. Just don't do anything. So the guy goes home, and he comes back, and Young says to him, how'd it go? And he said, oh, it's great. I listened to Mahler's Third Symphony. I, I read, caught up on some reading. I did, and Young looks at me and goes, no, no, wait a minute. I told you to go home and do absolutely nothing. And he said, absolutely nothing? 
he said, yeah, I just want you like to sit in quiet, alone, in solitude with yourself. And the guy said, okay, so he goes home. And he comes back the next week, but after seven days, right? And Jung said, how'd it go? And he said, it was terrible. It was awful. Uh, just the stuff that came up and uh, I just, it was a miserable time and I, you know, I saw things about myself, you know, and he said, but I couldn't do it. You know, actually, in the end, I really, I couldn't do it. I had to go back to doing other stuff. And Jung said, so what you're telling me is, is you're having trouble getting along with other people and you can't even be alone with yourself and, and you want to foist that onto other people? Oh. You know, like, you can't even be alone with yourself and you want to take that self out into the world and share it, you know? And I, I think that's what happens for me in solitude is I, I end up bumping into my true self. Mm -hmm. You know, like you, if you do, like with contemplative prayer, the idea is if you do it long enough is that you actually move past the false public persona that you actually believe you are after yeah. a while and bump into your real self and then you begin to see the gap between mm -hmm. who you are and what you report to be and then eventually hopefully fall in love with the other one the real one you know uh, it's a challenge I mean that solitude I love solitude I love I'm a super extrovert but I love time alone I, I, I just I value it but alone isn't solitude alone is just the absence of the other for me you know like solitude is very intentional it's got a certain quality to the the time alone is different you know and you know um, Life militates against that happening, mm. you know? All of life militates against that happening, you know? Everyone wants an earlier breakfast. Everybody wants an earlier, you know, phones start ringing earlier, cell phone, you know? It, so everything seems to invade on the possibility of solitude and its partner, which is silence, mm. you know? So um, I think I'm really looking for that at the moment. Um, I find uh, I had a really solid number of years of a good contemplative prayer practice, uh, which since we moved from Connecticut to Tennessee, like with so many other disciplines that were in place in my life, you know, have all been kind of washed away, you know. Um, so trying to recalibrate, trying to recalibrate, find that place of solitude again. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Ian. Well, I'm Scott. Hey, hey Scott. Scott. Yeah, Ian's a uh, well historian. His sharing just kind of reminded me of just how ludicrous it seems that I I can book I, I will book myself solid, you know, here in here in Franklin or in Nashville, and yeah, even yesterday I had a day that had no margins from uh, 7:30 in the morning till 10 o'clock last night. Um, and I was running to every single appointment and trying to hit deadlines. And I did it to myself. I booked myself that way because I like that. Um, I like filling up all the space. But I will, uh, but as far as solitude goes, I actually have to, I have to book that as well. I find myself having to, you know, I, I went to a monastery last year with, with two close friends in, in New Mexico. And to, to make that trip happen, 
was I, I had to move heaven and earth to to find a piece of time where I could go and, and be alone, and um, and it was terrifying. Mm -hmm. Those five it was five days uh, without <clears throat> any of my normal distractions uh, except a couple. We would the guys I went with we we would leave. It was a silent. Uh, it was Christ in the desert in uh, New Mexico. And we would leave the grounds where we were supposed to be silent because, um, you know, we hadn't been speaking all day. So we would leave the grounds so we could talk and we'd take a walk and talk. And that was, for someone like me, um, who uh, is completely energized, I'm, I'm like Ian, I'm definitely an extrovert, and I get energized by being around people. And I, I love the back and forth. Um, and so I come alive in, in, a, in a group of people. And I find a lot of life, and I give a lot of life in, in that. But it also is very draining, the, the life I live. And so for me, at nearly 50 years old now, um, to be faced with myself in that silence was, uh, it, it was actually what, what Ian was describing. It was kind of horrible um, to not have a constant back and forth, a constant stream to, to, to kind of fill the void. Um, and as I am getting older, I'm seeing the greater need for it, but I don't want to do it. I still don't want to do it. Uh, I'm, you know, I've been, uh, Aaron and I have been talking about this for a while, but I've been studying the Enneagram, and I come to find out I'm, a, I'm one of the terrible twos, and which basically, in a nutshell, is I need to be needed. Really? And so, yeah, and so uh, even in my early days of Samson, when I discovered that I could, uh, when I finally gave myself permission to be someone else's Silas when I felt like I had done my time I became super Silas I mean if I can Silas two guys why can't I be a Silas to seven mm -hmm. and it was awesome until I realized that not only was I disappointing <laughs> I always felt like I was on the verge of disappointing someone and then in the end I was just I just felt like one giant disappointment mm -hmm. so anyway, I'm working through all of that and but I tend to not work through it in solitude and I see the great gap between isolation and solitude. Um, and, um, but at the moment, I feel a little bit like, I guess it's a simile, not a metaphor. I feel like a, a car that's parked on the, I've, I've gotten off the highway, I've gotten off the highway, the car's idling, it's on, but I don't know how to get back on the uh, on-ramp on right now. Uh, and I think some of that is only gonna be found in solitude. So, so I'm hopeful. But uh, in some ways, huh, in some ways running out of gas, and, I, and I'm, I'm hopeful that solitude, true solitude, and uh, meeting God in that place will, uh, will help. So that's about all I have. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott. <clears throat> Thanks, Scott. And we will be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. I've been talking to myself. Help me get these thoughts out of my own head I don't believe Most days I don't believe Mercy is true, it's hard to live with the things I do So God bruised the hills with dug in the ground That we might move closer to love And pull out the roots we've dug in so deep 
Finish what you started Help us to Keep our eyes wide of this kind of love staring everything we need Keep our eyes wide of this kind of love staring everything we need Keep our eyes We are back Episode 77, Doubly Sacred episode today. Oh, that's true, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yes. This is perfect, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know, Nate, is there, you know, last year you did Africa, you did China, you did Senegal, uh, Bali. Yeah, I don't remember Senegal and Bali. Those must have been really good times. Oh, you tanned uh, topless in Nice. It was a big year for... Pirate monk uh, moving around the world. Yeah, I just gave myself a mental image. I feel uncomfortable right now. So what's happening this year, 2012? Is there any travel plans happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, there's a lot. Uh, we're, Allie and I will be taking off uh, next week for a little swing through Florida, which I always find necessary about this time of the winter. Uh, excited about that trip, though, because I'll be meeting with Sanchin groups. Wait, let's be clear, though. That's not a spiritual thing you're talking about. You go there to leave Tennessee. Yes, I go there to leave. I go there to get warm, basically. But I'm also getting to hang with Samson guys in Jacksonville, uh, North Palm Beach, Miami, Tampa, and Ocala on this trip. Uh, But what I'm really excited about is uh, going with my Silas, Kyle Rigsby, and Tim Tan, leaving on the 26th of March for China, going back there for a 10-day trip. Uh, we're going to do a 48 Hours of Frankness in China. I got a very cool thing yesterday from Tim Tan. I got the Samson Charter in Chinese. Wow. We're translating all the stuff, uh, the charter, the meeting format, and then all the handouts for the 48 Hours of Frankness retreat will be in Chinese. Uh, Tim's going to help me uh, modify the story, the 48 Hours story, and I'll retell it in a kind of Chinese-friendly fashion during that retreat. It'll be translated live and recorded, and then we're going to leave the whole thing. We're going to give it to the Chinese church. What does retell it in a Chinese-friendly fashion mean? Well, instead of the mountain, it's the Great Wall. (laughs) (laughs) We'll change some names. We'll do some Chinese names. Though I, I am sure that there's... It's the thing about making something culturally... Uh, you know, I, was, yeah. I was more curious then. I have no idea. I told, uh, I asked Tim to listen to the tapes and give me feedback, and we'll find a way to make it a little more Chinese-friendly at any rate. So, I can't wait to hear it. I'm very excited about that gift that we're going to give to Chinese believers and the way those... Uh, it's what they've been asking for. Now, if we remember last year, you yeah. came back the young men were blown away because old men like yeah. yourself don't talk about shameful things, shame-based culture they had right, never heard. Right, right, right. You know, an old, right, old, exactly, old person. You uh, said old three times. That was a little over the top, Admiral. Uh, right. Yeah, that's true. Just yeah. an old, old person mm-hmm. uh, talk so openly and vulnerably. Yeah. <laughs> about you know mm-hmm. the struggle. So. 
I wonder, I mean, they got it. I mean, they needed it. Do you yeah. think older guys are going to come to this? No, this will probably, probably the guys who will be coming will be college students and young artists. And the way the culture is changing over there, um, there is, I mean, uh, uh, the young folks place a much higher premium on authenticity, or at least they have a longing for it. Mm -hmm. They're still, they live bound in an awful lot of cultural shame. But I found that when I went in and just ignored those rules, uh, I got a fantastically strong response. And those guys then reciprocated and said things, told things each other. Yeah, that, that's weird. If I meet with a dozen guys, as I did in, in one Chinese city, met with a dozen guys who were friends, had been hanging around for a couple of years, and then I tell my story without pulling any punches, and come to find out, you know, every guy in the room had a porn problem, and they had never talked about it. Each guy thought he was fighting it on his own. They don't, yeah, they alluded to it in code, the kind of stuff that I used to do back in, you know, in, in my days in the evangelical well, subculture. I, this, this is a question that I, you know, this is like a pre-interview question, yeah. but I'd sure like to invite Ian to answer it too. What you said is, uh, well, it's wrong. When you go into a cultural situation, you need to understand the culture, respect it, mm -hmm. enter into it. We do that in our own churchianity. Right. And what you're saying is, I went in and I ignored the entire thing, and I got a really great response. Did he say he ignored the entire thing? Yeah, no, I didn't enjoy. I did. I didn't ignore the entire thing. No, I mean, but uh, this is this is the question. But, but I did not observe a key cultural taboo. Right. No, you. but I mean, seriously, yeah, yeah. you kicked their culture in the crotch by doing that. It's not like it was a small thing. Right. It's not okay. like you used the left chopstick on the right side or something. You went in okay. and... Right. So what was the question? The question is, at what point... I think there, there are certain people who use that as a disingenuous tool in their own church life that's just like, let me just throw stuff in the face of the church and Christians and, and it kind of misses the love piece. Right, right. I'm just going to be an iconoclast. And, yeah, okay. how, how do we, what, what is the right balance to walk where we say, I'm sorry, we've crossed a line that for me to accept this as a cultural thing in China yeah. or the Bible Belt or California, yeah, yeah, yeah. or Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will not do that. I will yeah. come here with authenticity, yeah, regardless yeah. of your cultural need. Well, so where's where's the line there? I don't know. I, I do think that uh, being honest with each other, communicating without shame, not being, uh, not allowing ourselves to be prisoners of shame and guilt, is fundamental to what it means to be a Christian. And I think that key piece has been stolen from us by some cultures. And we become more authentically Christian and more authentically human when we ignore those messages. Okay, but i got to pause there because you said that as if that shouldn't be pushed back on. It's a key part of being Christian. How dare you, sir? Yeah. Back that up. Or, or ask me to. Yeah, okay, why don't you back it up? Uh, <laughs> I'm having a hard time following you here, Aaron, but that's okay. No, you're saying that being authentic with each other yeah. is a key part of being Christian. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Of, I'm thinking about Christians who think that that's just like a catchphrase, a cool word. Yeah. You're going to China and you're just like freaking people out by talking about porn yeah. and getting the young people all excited about this 
whole let's just be more honest and we'll be more spiritual. I was just talking to a pastor friend in New York that was like in my face about this, the trend of honesty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, wow, okay, I forgot people think like this. Yeah. Okay? So you're saying this whole honesty thing is way beyond a trend, but a core part of being a Christian. Right. I, think that's what I, you just, I believe so. Yeah. Can I say something? Yeah. In the way of interrupting you? Yeah. If it's, uh, I mean, I'll back it up. If it's for freedom, we've been set free. <laughs> well, then we've been set free from not being authentic. And we've been set free. He actually said, he actually said the core, the, one of the keys was being free of shame. Yeah. And if we've been set free from shame because of Jesus, then... I can bring that to any culture and exhibit that freedom yeah. as a Christian. Yeah. And in any way I can I can and love somebody by respecting their culture and still be my authentic self is to is to me listening to the Holy Spirit and and land, uh, landing gently wherever I go with that with that confidence that comes from being set free from that shame. That's that's what comes to me. Yeah, you know, I I sort of feel like there are two words in the church world that I really dislike. One is relevant, yeah, and the other one is authentic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why? 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 Oh, sorry. Good. Well, because the moment you try to be authentic, you're being inauthentic. Mm-hmm. You're thinking about it. I mean, you know. So you're most of the time when I see a pastor doing this, right? He's wearing clothes that are inappropriate to his age, so he can look younger, mm-hmm. right? There, you know, he's like buying his. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. there's like this kind of He persona. went to Baby Gap and he didn't realize yeah, he well, overshot. Yeah, right, right. He went to yeah. Lucky and, you know, spent too much money. It, it, you know, there's a certain kind of authentic, you know, they have a vo- it's got a voice that goes with it. It's like, I'm just trying to share my journey. And after a while, I'm like, no, I don't, I'm not, I don't think so. This feels like a false persona to me. Like the journey toward being the true self. Like I think about Merton who said that to be a saint is to be myself. That is a very, to deconstruct the false self is an intensely difficult journey. And most of the time, I'm, I don't, don't want to be, well, I am being kind of uh, judgmental, and I don't mean to be, but often the sense I get is that the person who's saying, you know, I'm really trying to be authentic here, hasn't done the hard work. Mm-hmm. That in actuality, they've wep- and then they weaponize the Bible, or they weaponize Christianity, mm-hmm. right? And, and, a lot of shame gets tossed around, you know, like from a fire hose in the room. And uh, I, for me, it's not so much about, you know, blowing the message of people regardless of their cultural thing or, you know, it's all about the voice. It's about the quality of voice. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the voice of invitation to think newly about what your life could be like if. You know what I mean? Like. Like, what does your pain make possible? Because here's what it made possible for me. And I just, in, I want to invite you into the space to consider that it, that it might work for you. And then you leave it to them to determine, right. well, it's for me, it's not for me. And it's not up to you to make the outcome, mm-hmm. you know? You just simply throw it out there and, you know, those who are ready to join you on that journey will and those who won't, won't. But. I mean, the word authentic just always now to me smacks of a buzzword. You know, we are this kind of church. We are not the fake people church where, you know, they're Christianity. And all of a sudden I start thinking, yeah, but when I hear you tell your story, it's so well manicured, it's so put together, and there's a a modesty that smells like it's been rehearsed, you know? And 
I can the people I've known in just in my own life who just were just very genuine. You could tell they they'd done their work, and that and that the thing that had brought them there was either great love or great suffering or both. When your response wasn't in the balance, that's I mean for me that's how I know yeah. that someone's being authentic because they're saying it. And I see in their eyes right. my response yeah. is not in the balance person you described yeah. everybody's response is in the balance of my authentic moment yes I'm sharing here mm-hmm. yeah and I'm watching carefully how's yeah. this playing <laughs> exactly or or you can tell that on their head is the invisible three by five card that says do you love me yet oh right so, so say I'm, that again rewind well they're, say it they're again. walking around on with their the head three, the three, yeah there's a three by five card on their forehead that says do you love me yet mm-hmm. and the way I'll find out is if I share intimate details about my life with you and you still look like you love me, or because I've shared it, you love me? Now it's like I'm testing you? Well, essentially, I've now objectified you. I've turned you into a mirror that I can look in and see back that I'm okay, in spite of the things I'm telling you about me. That's painfully true. Yeah. Scott, do you have any words about this? I've been combing my hair in Scott's face for 10 minutes, just because it's such a mirror for me. <laughs> I'm a narcissist, this, and I'm just this, working I mean, I, I feel that a lot, even as a, an Enneagram 8, but I mean, terrible too. You've got to have something to say about that. That's like, that's deep stuff right there. Uh, I've, I've had that index card on my head before. Mm-hmm. Let's leave it at that. Well, let me just summarize okay. this. The reason that yeah. I, the reason I brought it up is because I think, Nate, I totally agree that being honest, authentic in the authentic sense of the word. <laughs> Genuine. Yeah, genuinely authentic. I think it is about bringing the full gospel. And Allie and I last night on your porch were talking about that whole diagram of the small cross. Mm-hmm. And the bigger I understand my sin, the bigger the grace gets, the bigger the cross gets. I mean, it's just that. Yeah. It's that simple that I have to to bring the gospel into other people's lives. I can't just bring a disconnected story where I hide the yeah. rest. So yeah. it, I think it is central. And I think that's important for all of our friends in the podcast world and Scott, who has his hand up. I, yeah, I, I wanted you. to go back to a, a, a more of a logistics question about your upcoming trip, Nate. Yeah. And that yeah, is, yeah. Uh, like, I know. I know you and I know Kyle, your your yeah, 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 yeah. and Tim even a little bit, and, and these trips are they're pricey. How do you fund? How do you, how are you able to do this? Yeah, uh, well, uh, they're all self funded, uh, and that's been easier in previous years than it is this year. Uh, Kyle's uh, stretched and he's leaning on some friends. So, I, yeah, thanks for asking. Thanks for bringing it up. It's a little awkward. We don't do the podcast for money, certainly. But uh, if any of you out there in listener land would like to contribute to this specific trip to China, just uh, uh, drop us a line here at the podcast, samsonpodcast at gmail.com, and let us know how we can get a hold of you. We'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil. Deserve somebody Maybe a rock and roll addict Dancing on the stage Money drugs at your command Women in a cage You may be a 
businessman or some high degree thief. They may call you doctor, or they may call you chief, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, you are. You're gonna have to serve somebody. Serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have. Well, we're to serve back on the Pirate Monk podcast with our special guest, Ian Cron. Uh, back for a return visit. We talked for the last time, Ian, about your new book, How's, uh, 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 Jesus, My Father, the CIA, and Me, in which you are startlingly authentic. Uh, <laughs> oh, you don't have to insult the guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I actually thought it was. I thought it was genuine. I thought it was an. The book is an invitation. You open up your life. You're not really demanding anything from the reader. What kind of response have you gotten from the book? Um, I mean, on the whole, it's been really positive. Yeah. Very, very positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, critically, it's been well received. And uh, I think, you know, people can all find points of identification with suffering, you know, and we all feel alienated as kids at some level. And, yeah, yeah. And for yeah. those who have particularly difficult environments in which they're raised, feel it more acutely. Yeah, sure. And uh, so. I mean, there were, yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly encouraged. Um, one of the themes of the book was, I mean, you're raised by this mysterious father who, for much of your childhood, you don't realize he's actually an undercover CIA agent. Uh, he's also uh, an alcoholic. And so you have this, this journey from, uh, a journey to faith, uh, fascinating and wonderfully told. And then at some point, with the help of a friend, you brought face to face with the fact that you are like your father in some ways that you had not recognized, including uh, your your propensity to, to abuse alcohol. And you don't give uh, much detail beyond that conversation in the book. Uh, you do point it out as a pivotal point in your life. Uh, Would you care, just for the benefit of our listeners, a lot of whom are addicts of one description or another, or or, or love addicts, um, can you expand on that experience a little bit for us and what happened afterwards? Yeah. Well, one of the reasons, by the way, I didn't go into a lot of details about stories, you know, like in AA we call them drunkologues, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like, first of all, it's been done a lot, especially recently, Mm -hmm. and it's been done really well. Yeah, I mean yeah, Mary yeah. Carr and right. and others. I mean going back Augustine to going Burroughs. back to yeah going back to Pete Hamill's you know the drinking right. life. I mean it's been done. It's been done really well, and it really wasn't the point of the book. Right. Uh, I, I just didn't think that would be helpful. Right. Uh, and uh, but I love again going back to Carl Jung is kind of a among many many heroes of mine just just in terms of just the incredible suppleness of the way he thought. You yeah. Know? Uh, he said, you know, that conversion is the result of multiple humiliations to the ego. Wow. And I think that's true. That's why I think conversion happens multiple times in life, you know. Mm-hmm. And we could say that's bottoming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've had several bottoms over several things in my life. And they are a humiliation to the ego, which says, I don't need God. I don't need anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, can, I have mastered life on my own. Mm-hmm. And... I am the admiral of my own ship, and uh, unfortunately, my ship has hit the rocks, uh, yeah. as ships have done of late. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, um, 
I just sort of, I think in, in that particular moment, when my, my friend held a mirror up to me, which I think a, a good friend will do, mm-hmm. um, I was, and because he had, because I trusted him. Yeah. You know, like there, another person could have done that and I just would have been, you know, but you know what my response would have been. <laughs> but because it was an invitation to say, hey man, here it is. Yeah, how did how did he go about it, and how did you respond? Well, um, this happened after this <laughs> this had happened after we uh, had been out on a night on the town, and of course, this is a guy that I had done a lot of partying with, and and he had become a Christian, and he just without any shame, without saying I've become a Christian, and you need to get your act together, mm-hmm. that wasn't part of the the dialogue. The dialogue was simply you start to take on the characteristics of the person who has wounded you most uh, when, when, when you drink like they do. And, uh, and I knew he was right. Mm-hmm. You know? Now, I didn't stop drinking. That was years later. Mm-hmm. And things have become worse. But, in that, but that was a moment at which I recognized my need for a power greater than myself to intervene, mm-hmm. you know, and I've had that numerous times since, mm. over many addictions, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I'm a, you know, I don't have one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I'm yeah. a seething cauldron of uh, of addictions. <laughs> you know, you talk to Scott, you know, Scott's got an addiction to other people's approval or love or whatever. It's like, oh yeah, I have that one. Yeah, you know. I you know oh, I know about that yeah I mean I'm a three with a strong four wing if you're talking about the enneagram so I have an addiction to ambition and success mixed with a little bohemian angst you know which means uh, right now you're comparing yourself to Scott and making him feel bad that I, I, oh no no, no, no. It's more of a penchant not less of an addiction more of a penchant but God yeah <laughs> well, uh, which is part of my part part of yeah that's denial. called denial yeah <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> refusing to know what you know, uh, and so I, I just that's uh, um, okay. Uh, uh, for the listeners, just uh, information. Scott's a friend. Um, I uh, not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. gonna interrupt you for a second. Mirror, mirror. I, on I've the wall. been uh, like sitting. I'm actually sitting between Nate and Ian. This is Scott, and. Uh, I've been hoping for this is like a summit that I've been hoping for and I know you guys have met you know, a while back but I'd, I've known Nate for many years and met Ian uh, I guess about two years ago 15 and you were on my record and you forgot and, uh, it yeah I forgot about that actually um, <laughs> oh really? yeah, yeah we'll, talk later. we'll talk later on another all that to say this was a summit I've been hoping for for a long time and, oh wow um, and uh, just so glad that it finally happened I think this is an important meeting of of Two very authentic men. <laughs> so that's just my fan club, look- Scott. Because right? I, I had the honor of also being able to record Ian's book, on, yeah. uh, the audio version. So I both was able to read the book. I was a big Chasing Francis fan as well, his, his, other, his other book. And then, uh, so reading this book and then uh, being able to have Ian read it to me, uh, the you know, as, as he was making the audio book, this story is really, I, I, I mean, I'm a fan. And so, I, if we can, if we can do a commercial at all about this book, I would hope that the listeners would run out and purchase multiple copies of *Jesus, My Father*, *The CIA and Me*, because Samson guys, especially, and their wives, will resonate so much. Not to mention, there's some of the your prose is beautiful. I love reading your writing, and I'm just gonna, you know, spew all over here for a second. The Quarry, Chapter 17. Oh man. Just some of the some of the 
best writing I've read in a long time. So it's just a delicious book to read, and a story that will um, that just breaks my heart over and over again. And as I started the book, I just put my head down and said, I don't want to read about another father wound. I have my own, and I was so taken by it. And um, it anyway, it, it's a Listeners, very moving. It's a very moving account, and I, I want just so you know, to read right now, Scott is not just being genuine with his words, but he's actually giving Ian a foot massage. That's how deeply he feels. And this is this because attachment. Aaron can't handle true intimacy. <laughs> what he's doing right now. He's trying to say I'm disengaging from the intimacy of the moment. I'm going to take my shirt off. <laughs> Mine is already off. <laughs> you know, actually, though, that was a very powerful experience of us doing that together. Um, because, and if you remember this, there were multiple times in the reading where I got so moved and we had to stop. And I didn't let you take some of the some of them out. Like you wanted to go back yeah. and redo some of them. I said, "There's no way we're gonna, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep some of that in." I mean, when you started just wailing, I said, "Oh, we got to redo that." But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was uh, to hear you read the story out um, out loud and and actually kind of witness you relive some of it was it was very powerful but that witnessing is very but you just said that word is very important was that unexpected for you well it was unexpected because i'd read it so many times now i cried about three or four different times in the writing i can even name the places where it happened Mm -hmm. but um that surprised me because you know what happens is is you when you begin to retell your story you find that they're there for all of us there are these reservoirs of grief yeah that we didn't know we had until you know we we tap them, you know, and suddenly the, we find, oh my gosh, like, I didn't realize there was so much energy still underneath that experience there. Uh, and it's almost always grief, Yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which we, I think, I think it's the most powerful human emotion of all, and I think it's the one we're most terrified of. Um, and so, yeah, it did surprise me a bunch of times, but What's beautiful is when, it's like confession, which I really believe in in the church. I believe in the power of two people being together and one confessing to the other. So you kept James in the canon? Yes. A lot of it I threw out. But that particular piece, uh, I'm with Luther, I think, anyway, that's a different story. That piece I left in. (laughs) Sorry, wrong comment to throw Uh, out. (laughs) But but to have another man in the room, actually, or in the same space, because what happens is that he can validate the experience. He can say... I, I see you, and I see that that happened. I hear that that happened, and I validate that your feelings are appropriate. They're not. Yeah. You don't need to be embarrassed. They are commensurate with. In fact, they may be minimizing still. Yeah. So if you really want to go for it, and yell or cry, go for it. Uh, but I just want you to know, I hear you. I see you with my heart, not just my eyes. And your story, that piece of your story, deserves all the emotional energy you want to ascribe to it. Which is what is so attractive in the Samson community. And it's why when I went to my first Samson meeting, I immediately called my wife afterwards and said, I found it. Hmm. Those were, that, was my, that was the quote. And the reason was, was because I put that out there and I, my gaze was met and what was coming back at me was me too. Yeah. And right. not... Yep. you're out That's you're wrong. on spiritual yeah. probation yeah, yeah, as Nate yeah, likes yeah. to say right. yeah. get your stuff together and, and when you do come back right. that's what's so beautiful that to me is what's so beautiful yeah. that, that me too Ro- yeah Rollo May has this great quote he says we all are in search of the eyes that see and the face that blesses 
Yeah, and that's, once mm, again, uh, that's what teaching, happens in these circles. Teaching circles Christian men not to flinch. Mm. Yeah. Mm. The yeah. face that blesses, because everyone's looking at the face. Right, and, and actually, when, when Rollo May says it, he says, we're all looking for the soft gaze of the mother looking at the sleeping infant. And I think in meditative prayer, to go back to your thing, yeah. in its best moment is when we experience that yeah. face being God's. Yes, 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 yes. You know? Yes. But it can take a lot of years of meditative prayer before you find that. And that's a gift. You can't yeah. manufacture yeah. it. God has to show up and bring it to you. All you can do is be receptive to it. What I have found just in my my earliest efforts here at meditative prayer, what surprises me is this involuntary smile that shows up on my face mm. when I feel like I'm being seen. Yeah. It's a, it's a very, very powerful emotion. Yeah. It's true. Um, Ian, I know you have a schedule to keep. You are a very, very important um, uh, a man and a highly, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, you're a very busy guy. Uh, you got a new book, or you're thinking about a new book? Do you have a contract on the new book? Do you have a plan? For Do you have it? anything to say? Yeah. No, I want to hear about. Talk. Is that it? Is that all you got? Because <laughs> <laughs> frankly, we're really disappointed. <laughs> I mean, we're going to have to add stuff to this show now. Uh, <laughs> I'll do a song. You know, I, I do. I do uh, you will? I'll sing harmony. Um, oh, bless your heart. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just trying to be a blessing. Um, he won't remember it in 15 years. Uh, though, yeah, 15 so. years now, he won't remember I sang it. Um, uh, that's a true story. Um, I, uh, uh, I do have another contract. Okay. And What's I, the book? I am working on another book. What is it? Well, um, I'm going to write on some of these contemplative disciplines. Wow. A little bit. But okay. hopefully in a way that's different than some of the more recent literature on it, which has been good. But uh -huh. I want to come at it from a story angle because I, I like telling stories. Yeah. Like vampires. You know, vampires. A they're hot right now. A contemplative book on vampires and centering prayer. Centering that's prayer hot. for tweens. Yes, who are yeah. afraid of vampires. Thanks for, uh, thanks for that. I think that's, uh, I think that's helpful. Uh, and it will give me stuff to talk to my therapist about this afternoon. <laughs> uh, All right. So, so before you were sideswiped by Mr. Aaron Porter, you're talking about centering prayer and story. Well, I want to explore the whole idea of, and you know, for, for a lot of people, the whole idea of contemplative spirituality smells of new age or it smells mm -hmm. like weird psychic phenomenon. Yeah, but yeah. It, that's usually for people who think Christianity began in the Reformation. Yeah. There was 1,500 years of or other in incredible or in California <laughs> uh, that that it really started 1,500 years yeah. before that, yeah. and, and that there's this rich tradition yeah. of yeah. of knowing God, not only in Scripture, right, but through a constellation of other disciplines and practices and relationships meant to enhance mm -hmm. our understanding of Scripture and to in, in, and also very importantly to help us deconstruct the false self, mm. which seeks to fool the world. Merton has a great line about it. He goes, when the false self is animated, God can't recognize you oh. because he did not create that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, and that is altogether too much privacy. <laughs> is that a great line? <laughs> to not be known of God is altogether too much privacy. <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah. Isolation. Wow. 
Uh, incidentally, I, I want to get this audio version of the book. Is it available on audible.com? Oh, yeah. Yep. Really? Yep, that one and Chasing Francis both. Okay. And you're reading both of them? Yep. Right. I can only attest for the second, the audio quality of the second one, but <laughs> I'm sure the first one is fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's been a wonderful visit. Uh, I wish I wish we had three hours, but time is coming to a close. We'll be back in just a second on the Pirate Monk Podcast. All right. No, no, no. And we're back at the Pirate Monk Podcast. It is Mondo. Hey, Mondo. Wait, hey, you guys wait. haven't heard of me what? since uh, <laughs> since <laughs> the last podcast. <laughs> you why didn't you say anything today? I mean, is it just an insecurity thing? Uh, or? You know, uh, solitude. <laughs> full circle for a full circle uh, that's 10 points right there yeah, yeah, it, one it means he was listening yeah yep actually yep and listening. two it means he was he just realized that there was nothing all that important going on and I think he might have even gotten a little work done while we were busy interrupting each other <laughs> well cool man so uh, the guys want to hit us up on email uh, what's the what's the uh, Samsonpodcast at gmail.com. Very yeah, cool. Gmail.com. And we love letters. We do, yes. We may actually read some in mm. the next episode. Of the podcast. Okay. Okay, cool. In strictest confidence, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. All right. Hey, oh, and by the way, can I throw in a little commercial for my new book? Comes yeah. out in just uh, two weeks. Ah. It has had nothing to do with any of this. It sure doesn't. But uh, for those of you who are NASCAR fans, or actually I wrote this book specifically for people who don't know a thing about NASCAR. Well, I can get it. Yeah. <laughs> what about, what about yeah, people that don't like NASCAR? It's not for them. Well, I may like it if I read it, it right? Oh, this book will make you into a NASCAR fan. Okay, cool. Can right. we, next episode, can we talk a little more about all this? Well, tell us okay. about the book a little it's, bit more, though. What's yeah, it called? It's called Sundays Will Never Be the Same, and you'll be able to buy it beginning February 7th at your friendly neighborhood Walmart. There we go. All right, next episode, we're going to jump into that a little more. And we will talk to you next time on the Pirate Monk Podcast. To renew your trouble mind. And everybody say, whoa, whoa. Put your hands up. Recovery. Say, whoa. Shame and living for real, slow.